In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. There was once an atheist who was walking through a mountain forest. He was marveling at the beauty of the natural world and how a bang could have made it all. When he looked up and saw that a giant grizzly bear was chasing him, he ran as fast as he could down the trail, but the bear was gaining on him, and the man tripped and fell to the ground. And as the bear reared up to take a swipe at him, the man called out from the depths of his soul, God, help me! And suddenly everything froze. The bear stopped in mid-swipe, the sounds of the forest, everything froze and there was this heavenly light all around. And God spoke to the man and said, now just to be clear, you have been an atheist all these years, but now you are calling on me in your moment of crisis for help. Am I to count you as a Christian believer? Well, the man began to sort of come to himself and and gain his composure and said, well, that would actually be hypocritical of me and terribly uh, embarrassing in front of my very scientific friends. But then he had an idea, an idea that would save face and also save his skin. He thought, how about if you just make the bear a Christian? So God let out a sigh like a mighty wind and said, very well. And the light went back to normal and everything resumed. And the bear looked at his paw about to swipe his supper and looked horrified. And so he dropped to his knees and shouted out, Lord, bless this food which I'm about to receive. Unlike the dinner in the story, most of us come here this morning with uh, faith in God, perhaps uh, in great measure, but I think all of us know the experience of calling out to God in a moment of crisis, and yet we still get eaten by the bear. You know what I mean by that? Like we we pray to God uh, for an end to our hardship or our illness. But it remains. And the cancer is still there. The bills stay piled up. Or the the child stays addicted. Or the boss gets worse and not better. I mean, of course, we all have our joys in this life. But we certainly all have our woes. And those things uh, leave us often asking God, why? Why? Now, I do believe in miracles. And I've seen some doozies. Uh, truly. I mean, the Jags won last week, Wake Forest is 7-0, and and the Braves made the World Series last night. I, but I've seen, I've seen healing, I've seen uh, restoration, I've seen wonderful miracles, but many more times I have prayed for God to heal an illness or repair a marriage or bless an ailing loved one, and what we're asking for does not get resolved, at least Not in the way that we've asked for. We still get eaten by the bear. And so for a long time, I would come to passages like our gospel passage this morning, which Father Trent just read, a little bit embarrassed. I mean, I believe in miracles, but I certainly can't promise one. 
And so I would say something to you uh, like, well, this miracle does not promise us a healing miracle, but it does promise us the attention of the miracle worker. And that's pretty good, really. I mean, it, it lifts up Jesus as God, uh, as both a God of both power and personal relationship, but it also sort of implies underneath, don't get your hopes up. This morning, we're going to work our way through the story of Jesus giving sight to blind Bartimaeus. And so you might want to just follow along in the bulletin. And I want you to hear loud and clear that what Jesus tells Bartimaeus is every bit as true for you and me as it was for Bartimaeus when he says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. I'm not promising miraculous healing, but I am saying that the word of God over you is true. Your faith has made you well. So the passage picks up. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's headed for the cross. And his route is taking him through the ancient city of Jericho. And there is a buzz in the streets. There is a parade of commotion around the Lord. In addition to Jesus' regular entourage of disciples, townspeople from from Jericho would have been clamoring to see this strange rabbi who taught the law and the prophets with such relatability and authority. And yet, who would enter the homes of bilking tax collectors. Remember, Zacchaeus was from Jericho. And who would uh, eat meals with sinners. Who was this guy? They're clamoring to see him. And Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's heading out of town, beginning the final leg of his last trip to Jerusalem. And the blind beggar grabs the robe of someone passing by and and asks what's going on. It's Jesus of Nazareth, they say. And impulsively, the beggar shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over again, he shouts. Now, son of David is a messianic title. Have mercy on me was the cry of many psalms. And I don't know whether Bartimaeus intended theological sophistication or simply he was trying to grab Jesus' attention. But what seems clear is that this blind beggar saw better than most who Jesus is. And yet the fact remains that Bartimaeus would have been on the very bottom rung of society's ladder, unable to see and therefore unable to work, and so unable to provide for himself in any way except to appeal to the pity of passers-by whom he would actually never see. He's calling out to Jesus for mercy, not just from his normal place on the side of the road, but from the depths of desperation. Life had been hard on Bartimaeus. He had been eaten by the bear in going blind, and over and over, really. And so he's longing for dignity 
and restoration. Now, we know one thing for certain, and that is that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the author, included this story because blind Bartimaeus is an illustration for all of us. Last week, if you remember, we saw the disciples James and John seek exalted positions of glory in Jesus' new kingdom rather than accept the humility and the servanthood that comes with following Christ. They misunderstood what Jesus came for. And so they were using Jesus as a means to their own ends. And so in that sense, they remained in their spiritual blindness. i got to tell you, I can do that. I can approach Jesus as a great vending machine in the sky whose job it is to give me what I want in life, like James and John did, health or wealth or smooth sailing. But now, as a sort of foil to James and John, right on the heels of James and John's misplaced ambition, as Jesus is beginning his final leg of his journey towards the cross, the blind man begs for mercy and gains his sight. Mark is telling us that we only see Jesus clearly when we see Jesus heading to the cross to be the fountain of mercy. Now, as the teacher passes by, shouts from the street urchin would have been an embarrassment. The beggar is not silenced by the cultural shushing. And Jesus, who is the king of compassion, does not seem to be the least bit put off by his shouts. He stops still. And he calls the beggar to come to him. Even as Jesus is making his way to fulfill the very purpose of his incarnation, the cross, Jesus still has time for the beggar who would call out to him for mercy. I'm reminded how just moments before he died, the great Protestant uh, reformer Martin Luther looked into the eyes of a friend and said, we are all beggars. This is true. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was calling for him, he jumped to his feet and threw off his cloak. That, if you think about it, that's kind of a strange detail for Mark to include. He he threw off his cloak. So what? Well, for a beggar, his cloak would have been one of his actually most valuable possessions. The thing that would keep him warm at night, the thing that protected him from the elements. And I think Mark has included this little detail as another way of illustrating the true faith that Bartimaeus was placing in Jesus. Because Jesus was not just a means of restored eyesight, but actually Jesus would be his new protector. Jesus would, that he would, uh, Bartimaeus would now be wrapped in Christ's love and righteousness. Now Jesus does, of course, restore Bartimaeus' eyesight. Again, not just demonstrating Jesus' power, but illustrating that for us that clarity about Jesus comes in seeing him head to the cross for our sins. But what Jesus says to him, we can all hang our hat on. Whatever bears are chasing you down, whether or not the cancer is healed, whether or not 
the addiction is lifted, whether or not the relationship is healed. What Jesus says to Bartimaeus was true for him, and it is just as true for you and me. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Now the word there that is translated made you well is actually much deeper and more spiritual than a one-time miracle. The word doesn't simply speak to physical healing, but to physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you who you were meant to be. In fact, many translations rightly render this, your faith has saved you. I think sometimes it's easy to look at our lives and think that our faith has not yet made us well. This is the mentality of James and John. Jesus as the means uh, to our own end. But in fact, your faith has made you well. That is the truth because it is faith that binds us to Jesus' saving work in his death and resurrection. And you are forgiven. And you are loved. And you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You are declared God's child. You are identified by God's grace. Your faith has made you well. Now, for reasons known only to him, Jesus has not promised to keep us out of the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever that might look like in your life. But he has promised to walk with us through it. Until we get to that heavenly country where there is no more death and there are no more tears, but there is only life everlasting. Your faith has made you well because in Christ your faith has saved you and made you whole. I'll close with a story. It's 1871, a successful real estate entrepreneur and a man of great faith named Horatio Spafford lost most of his real estate holdings in the great Chicago fire. It was devastating. And so to seek rest, he booked passage on an ocean liner with his wife and four daughters to Europe. He was going to go and help the great evangelist Dwight Moody on an evangelistic campaign in Europe. But Spafford got held up with some business, and so he just sent his family on ahead of him, and their vessel was struck in the North Atlantic by another ship, and it sank in 12 minutes. His wife survived, but all four of his daughters drowned. When he heard the news, Spafford immediately boarded his ship to go and grieve with his wife. And as his own ship passed near the spot where his daughters drowned, Horatio Spafford penned these famous words. When peace, like a river, attendeth my soul, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. 
and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. And the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. And the trumpet shall sound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Spafford got eaten by the bear. Nevertheless, his faith in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus had made him well. So I don't know what valley you're walking through right now. I don't know what bears are chasing you down. I don't know what you have faced or what you will face. And I will be very glad to pray with you fervently for God's miraculous touch. Because I know that God has it. I know that God has you. But I do not know how God will choose to answer that prayer. But I know this. We're all beggars. It's true. But Jesus Christ hears the cries of the beggar and calls us to himself. And your faith has made you well.